Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. October the 31st, I taught the first part of uh, this on prayer, and uh, last week was our prayer revival, so we didn't have a formal service as such, and so tonight I would like to conclude, and um, I ended uh, two weeks ago uh, with an uh, an outline, sort of, of the Lord's Prayer, and uh, I'm not asking you to be like me, but I'm just... Sharing, I was sharing with uh, with you some of the things that I use to help me and facilitate prayer in my own life, and that the Lord's Prayer can be used as a template of prayer. It's of course not a prayer to just recite, but there's a lot of wonderful, wonderful principles. And uh, so I know all of you remember that from two weeks ago. And so we're going to start over here with Sister Mary Smith, and we're just going to have everybody. <laughs> we're just going to have everybody. Repeat that back to me, and, and we'll grade you at the end, and, and uh, I can see I'm losing you now. But uh, thank you for, for helping us in prayer. Amen. You're helping yourself, but you're helping our church. Amen. Collectively. The Bible says in the book of Second Chronicles 7 and 14, I assume that's why you're still standing. I got to talking and read my text. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray... And seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. I said two weeks ago, that is the word of the Lord. That is his promise to us. And so let's launch out on that. Amen. Let's just take God at his word. Amen. I love you tonight. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege to preach your word again. I'm asking you to let the spirit of this word take root in all of our hearts. And I pray that you will just strengthen us, Lord, by your divine and your mighty hand. We need you tonight greater in a greater fashion than we've ever needed you before. And we give you praise and glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated if you'd like. And, and um, I'm thankful for, um, I'm very thankful for the tools that we have available to us today. When I think about um, our forefathers and uh, and how how blessed we are today to have so many things available to us to help facilitate the word of God in our life and to help make sense, as the scripture says, of his word. And so I'm thankful for uh, Sharp minds, Brother Mike Williams says, baptized brains. <laughs> I'm thankful for the baptized brains among us and uh, that help kind of put things on the middle shelf and uh, not to oversimplify 
certainly important aspects of the Word of God or the work of God, but I, I want to take some of those tools tonight, and, and I'm not insisting that anybody does this, but I'm just giving them uh, maybe just some some ideas about how that we can implement prayer into our life. Prayer is not just something we should do in a crisis, not something we should just do over a meal. It shouldn't just be formal times or meetings or seasons, but pray always. There should be a spirit of prayer. Brother R.B. Bingham used to say we ought not to ever be, I don't forget the number, but just say three hallelujahs away from victory. <laughs> Amen. And so that you got to walk around in kind of a spirit and attitude of prayer. Um, I, I believe that that cer certain things that we look at are in in Scripture, in principles, uh, even in what I was talking about with the Lord's Prayer. It's a format. It helps us to put um, a template, if you please, to make what we do effective. Now, we could just say we're going to. We're just going to have prayer next week, and we're going to pray from 8 in the morning to 5 in the afternoon. And we just come here and all hang out from 8 to 5, and, and we're just sitting around and doing nothing. We can boast later that we prayed for X number of days for 8 or 9 hours a day or whatever. But if, those, if that time was not effective, then I think we've lost a tremendous slice of this pie. And so I want to ask God to help us to and help me as an individual and us as a church to be effective in what we're doing. Some people just view prayer as a little more than just a spiritual wish list. We'll just kind of check some things off. This is what I want. This is what I need. And, uh, but it's far more than that, far more than that. There are many tools I've said that are available to us to assist us in the matter of prayer and many other things in our life, prayer journals, and all of these things have their place. But I would like to add that while it's wonderful to have tools, I think that these tools have a place and that they should be kept in their place. Amen. I'll try to make sense of that statement as we move along. There's nothing wrong with tools, but it should never take the place of relationship. A, a few a few months ago, my wife and I were looking online. We were trying to find something in public records, and we came across our marriage certificate. And it was just kind of neat. Took us back in time, and and uh, there were the signatures and the witnesses and all those things. But if I have to print that off and wave that every morning, say, "Hey, how about a little breakfast here?" <laughs> I know what you're thinking. But if, if I have to just keep bringing up the contract, it's a tool, but it's a tool out of place. Now, it's been a tool to help us in many, many endeavors in our life and legal matters. It's been a tool that has been a great assistance many, many times. But it, needs, it has a place, and it needs to be kept in that place. And so I've read it like you and many others. have read a lot of books on prayer, used a lot of tools to assist me in prayer. But at some point, prayer has to be a relationship thing. It has to be a relationship thing. And so in, in a relationship, there should be a measure of spontaneity. And even those that didn't respond, I feel sorry for those around you, but maybe you just weren't listening. But the, the relationship should have a measure of spontaneity. And in our walk with God, our, our life with God, and our prayer life, it should be, there should be a measure of spontaneity. I am, I am speaking to people who have felt led 
to pray at inopportune times in your life or, or maybe, uh, uh, maybe times that weren't a, a normal time of prayer or a normal thing of prayer, an unorthodox moment, but you felt drawn. And so there has to be that sense of spontaneity. We can't just ignore that feeling and say, well, it's not a certain, certain time or it's not this or it's not a certain, certain day. There has to be a measure of spontaneity. Prayer should be at times absent a crisis. Prayer should be at times absent a pressing need. Sometimes prayer should be just for prayer's sake. We're just going to pray. And so I'm going to share uh, an idea with you tonight. Of course, there's many overlapping uh, things in all the things that assist us in, in tools of prayer and, and helps of prayer and, uh, but I am just wanting to try in this season of prayer to help us have some ideas of how that we can implement this in our life in a sustainable fashion. And I really, really, really am serious about that. I think that what we do, we need to begin it in a way that it can be sustained. So let's just pray every day. Every day. But if we said pray eight hours every day, or if we say pray two hours every day, well, we may come out of the gate pretty strong on that, but if two and a half days into it, we're already, we've already reached our zenith and now we're plummeting off into never and ever land, then we have failed ultimately. But prayer is a seed that is alive and has life. And so if we could just plant into the hearts of, of each and every one of us the power of consistent prayer, daily prayer, not, not a lay me down to sleep, not praying over our food, not just praying over our children on the way out the door, but prayer, us and God, prayer, amen. So I, I want to try with the help of the Lord to put this in, um, in a, a reachable fashion, and there's many, many things that are available. I just chose this one. And uh, you, if you've heard of this, just bear with us and stay with me upon, uh, on the journey. Some people have used the acronym ACTS. It's pretty fitting for an apostolic church. Use the acronym of ACTS, each letter standing for something specific that kind of walks us through a pattern of prayer to help us understand the value of that. Certainly, prayer, we should begin with praise and worship. Our prayers should not just be about our wants and needs, even though that might be very significant and substantial. Jesus taught us about prayer. When we pray that we should begin with a spirit and an attitude of praise and worship. I understand at moments when there is a, there's a crisis, that no, that's not what we're referring to, but just in our daily walk with God, we have to begin by recognizing who we're speaking to. We're recognizing that he is our Father, which art in heaven. Amen. Again, that's relational. Our Father. We're speaking to the almighty God. So that puts our prayer right out of the gate. It puts it into perspective. Often in the, in the, in the Psalms, we find reading behind David, he begins with an acknowledgement of the greatness of God, the majesty of God, the goodness of God. Amen. How beautiful it is to read these Psalms when we're talking about how wonderful you are, how wonderful, how great you are. And so... Uh, I think that's why that it's important for us to consider the attributes of God as we pray. To consider the omnipotence of God. He has unlimited power and I have an audience with him. 
Uh, so I'm not just meeting with the mayor, and I say that with all great deference to our elected officials, but I am, I'm not just meeting with a politician, but I am talking about a God that has unlimited power. There's nothing beyond his scope. There's nothing that I can ask him that would bewilder him. There's nothing that I could request of him. He would say, I'm going to have to get back with you on this. I'm talking to an all-powerful God. I need to consider the omniscience of God, that he has unlimited knowledge. He knows, he cares, he understands. Sometimes we're talking to people who are simply trying to wrap their mind around our situation. They've never been where we are. They've never walked where we've walked. They haven't gone through the valley that we're standing in. But we, are, we have an uninterrupted audience with the king of kings that has unlimited knowledge. He understands we need to consider the omnipresence of God, that he is everywhere present. I don't just have to pray to him in this building, at this altar, at my chair. I don't just have to pray to him from our selected or favorite place of prayer in our home, but he is everywhere present and almighty God. When I kneel in prayer, I need to consider the love of God. I need to consider the fairness of God, the justice of God. I need to consider the holiness of God. And I have his attention. Heaven is listening tonight. Heaven is listening tonight. And so when we take time to think about those things, it changes our perspective and our approach to prayer. We should take the, this time... It, it, I think when we begin to think about the goodness of God, the fairness of God, he is just, he is balanced. When I think about that, it gives me an opportunity to let my mind be a little bit more balanced in my prayer. And so we have time. That's why our services are actually conducted in the fashion that they're conducted. We, don't, we have praise and worship on purpose. That's first, on purpose. And because if you just came right in, and you just sit down and you're just still, your mind is still spinning from just all day and the trip here and, and all of a sudden, just turn with me, if you will, in the book of Second Chronicles. Our mind is, we're, not, we're here, but we're not here yet. And so praise and worship the songs that remind us of the majesty of God. You are great. There is no one like you. There is no one else like you. Amen. Oh God, you are great. And we just begin to think about and in the shadow of all we've encountered today, in the shadow of everything we're wading through right now, we just sing about the greatness of God, the unlimited ability of God. And it just kind of brings everything back into perspective. And we're more prepared to hear the voice of God and the word of God. Helps us to set aside things that are distracting us. And so it's important. That is why. Just one reason. It's important for everybody to be engaged in praise and worship. Not 20% of the congregation while 80% look on. Or 30 while 70% look on. But we all ought to be engaged in praise and worship. I get that we all pray and worship a little bit differently and that's all right, but we cannot afford to be a spectator. Church is not a spectator sport. Allowing somebody else to run the ball up and down the road while we just sip on a Diet Coke or allowing somebody else to get the job done while we just look on. No, no, no. We have got to prepare our own heart for the word of God. <clears throat> so we need to corporately worship the Lord and this is a beginning. Our praise and our worship and and in our acknowledgement of the power of God 
ought to lead us to a place of repentance and confession. I believe that every prayer ought to include repentance. Repentance is not one time way back when, but repentance every day. Paul said, I die daily. Amen. We got to nail this flesh to the cross every day. The closer we draw to the Lord, the more we sense our, our own sinfulness. That's the truth. The closer we get to God, the more his light shines, the more human we see ourselves. Amen. I think this is illustrated so beautifully and so powerfully in the book of Isaiah chapter number six. And so for that reason, I want us to, to just look on the screen or you can follow in your Bible if you would like, but just watch the progression of the first five that's found in the first five verses. We'll just pick a few of these out. But in Isaiah six and one, the word of the Lord says, in the year that King Uzziah died, this is Isaiah speaking, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. So this is verse one, here we come. In verse number three, he talks about the angels. And he said, of the angels that one cried unto another and said, holy, holy. Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. This is Isaiah the man. It's important to understand that. This is not some ghostly appearance of Isaiah. This was Isaiah the man. Isaiah that had to comb his hair when he got up that morning. Isaiah that had to dress himself. Isaiah that understood the pain of sleepless nights. Isaiah that understood what it was like to be hungry and thirsty. A man, a human, just like all of us that are sitting here. And he said, here I was the year King Uzziah died. And I saw the Lord high and lifted up on his throne. His train filled the temple. The angels were crying one to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And everybody said, man, what it would be like to be there. What it would have been like to been with Isaiah in this very moment. My, why couldn't we have that experience? Because we're just going to click our heels and be on cloud nine. I hardly think so. In verse number five, this was the end result of that glory meeting. Isaiah said, then said I, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Woe, woe is me, the glory and the majesty, if I may say the righteousness of God, reveal the unrighteousness of Isaiah. And when we get into the presence of the Lord, the righteousness of God reveals the unrighteousness. Now, don't think that God is a ball bat. You stay with me because I'm gonna make a point about that. I think it's, uh, I think it's interesting that we're in Isaiah 6, but if you were just to flip the page into Isaiah 5, you would, you would find Isaiah, um, I don't know the right word here, but casting a lot of woes at other people. Woe unto you, and woe unto you, and woe unto you. Now, I want to, in all fairness, Isaiah had a right to say what he was saying. I'm just trying to reach here and make a point. But Isaiah in chapter 5 is, woe, woe, and woe unto you. And then he gets in the presence of the Lord and he says, whoa, 
Woe unto me. Woe unto me. So you see, absent the presence of God. I'm not suggesting Isaiah was out of line in chapter 5. This is just an illustration. But absence the presence of God, it is very easy for us to point our bony finger at people and say, woe unto you and woe unto you and woe unto you and woe and woe and woe and woe and woe. But when we get in the presence of God, there is something very, very revealing about the power and the presence of God. Amen. You see, when we see God for who he is, it gives us a chance to see us for who we are. And often that's not a pretty sight. Now, that is certainly not to say that prayer is a tool to be used to destroy our self-worth and that God just wants to bring us down to nothing. And uh, That's not at all what I'm implying at, at all. But it helps us to identify the truth of where we really are. In the raw presence of God, we are made aware of our shortcomings and we have to do something about that. Prayer is kind of like getting blood work done. You may feel fine, everything may seem okay, but you see the blood test drilled down on what's really going on. Amen? And so sometimes we think, well, I'm, I'm doing fine. I'm, all is well. And then the doctor starts flipping through that chart and says, wait a minute, this is too high, this is too low, and we got to do something about this. And so what prayer is, is not to belittle us and to strip us of our worth. It's not that at all, but it's to reveal those things where we need, we need help. Amen. So consider the prayer that David prayed. Now, this is some heavy stuff. I'll just warn you. Psalms 139 and 23. David says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. We hide a lot behind the grin. <laughs> we can really bluff with, what about that? But David said, search me. Know my heart. Try me. And know my thoughts. Here's the key to my whole life. Now that's a bold request. You don't have to answer this. But how many of you are ready for company immediately following church? Because Sister Boyd and I are coming. And you're totally ready. Some of you are cleaning rooms in your mind right now. When we close our eyes, just in case this guy is serious, I'm gone. Here we are. We've come to inspect. We've come to look. <laughs> Maybe I should have used somebody else for an example. I don't know. David says, here it is. Just search me right now. I got I, people with nothing to hide, hide nothing at all. So search me and know my heart and try me and know my thoughts. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, when I read that today again and read it again and I read it again, it just kind of pressed down into my heart. And, and are we really ready for company? Are we really ready for company like this? 
Are we really ready for the Lord to just walk in and know our thoughts and know our heart and try me and pull and, and see what we're made of, push things out of the way and reveal what is there? Amen. We, we think at times well, we're doing reasonably well, but then when we say, search me, know my heart, here I am, nothing hidden to you, that kind of praying may bring something to the surface and we need to deal with that. That's why prayer is so important. So when you spend time in the presence of God, you become aware of those things. You become aware of shortcomings. Again, I want to just underline, I hope enough, that this is not to drive us to despair this is not to take us and pull us down and, and strip us of our net worth, but God's spirit to convict is never, when God convicts us of sin, that is never to drive us away. That is always to pull us closer, always. Amen. The devil condemns to drive us away, but the Lord convicts to pull us closer. The Bible says this, if in 1 John 1, 19, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, all predicated upon what? If we confess, if we just lay it on the line. Amen. You To confess means, Lord, you're right. I'm wrong. <laughs> Here I am. I, 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 my hand surrendered. I confess. Amen. But, you know, we can pray the most beautiful prayer. We can put all the lines together. We can connect all the verses together. We can just sound like the most prayerful person in the world. But if our heart is not right before God, if there is unconfessed sin in our life, our prayers are ineffective. I have the scripture to prove that. Amen, we can, get, we can make it all look good, we can make it all sound good, we can put on a dog and pony show, but if I am not clean inside, then my prayers will never be effective. David said in Psalm 66 and 18, he said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So we think we're going to bring all these grudges we got against that one and grudges we got against this and eels we got against that. We're going to bring all that to the altar. We're going to sing our way over the top of it or we're going to pray our way over it. We're kidding ourselves. David said, if I've got all this in my heart, God is not going to hear me. He is not going to hear me. And so it's essential that we confess our sins. Get it out. <laughs> my Lord, get it out. Amen. We need to, uh, there needs to be a season then for thanksgiving in our prayer. Every, every prayer, I believe, ought to have a season of thanksgiving. Amen. Because we are thankful that God has done so much. Yes, he has. Amen. The Bible says in Psalms 32, blessed is the ones whose transgressions are forgiven. And so if we have nothing else, amen, we've been forgiven of our sins. So I'm thankful, God, that you have forgiven me of my sins. We don't give thanks to God because everything in our life is perfect. No less than four times in Psalms, the scripture says, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good and his mercy endures forever. Give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good and his mercy endures forever. Give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good and his mercy endureth forever. Give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good and his mercy endureth forever. When you begin to pray that and think that, it casts a shadow over the deficits of our life. It casts a shadow over everything that's not right. We give thanks unto the Lord because he is good and because his mercy endures forever. And so we can't allow our emotions to dictate our gratitude toward the Lord. Emotions can be very misleading. 
Emotions can keep us from prayer. It can keep us from praise. It can hinder us in our worship. Amen. If you don't feel it at the moment, we have to press through those moments. I know it's an age-old illustration I've used countless times, but I'm thankful that our musicians don't engage when they feel like it. I'm glad they engage at 7.30 on Wednesday and 10 a.m. on Sunday or, or, or whenever they do on Sunday. <laughs> at, the, at the right time, that's when they do it. That's when they do it on Sunday. I'm glad that they're not just sitting there dormant until they feel it. And so sometimes, I'm going to tell you, they don't feel it because they've argued with their spouse all the way to church. You don't think that's ever happened? My wife and I have argued all the way here. We were exhausted by the time we got here. (laughs) For those listening by way of the internet, we live next door. We just kind of cleared that up. And so you just press on. You just press on anyway, not because everything is okay, but because he is good and his mercy endureth forever. Amen. Why are you singing in the midst of all of your storm? Because God is good and his mercy endureth forever. Amen. When, so we sing because he is worthy of praise. Acts 16, things weren't going well for Paul and Silas. If you know your scripture, thrown in jail, beaten, placed in stocks. Yet in the midst of all of this horrible setting, they mustered the strength to lift their voices and the Bible says they prayed and they sang praises unto the Lord and the Lord heard and honored their faith. Amen. This passage wasn't recorded to lift up Paul and Silas and to point out our own weaknesses. Amen. These were written because Bible, the Bible says, and Paul said to the Corinthian church in 10 and 11, now all these things happen to them for in samples and they are written for our admonition. Amen. They were given to us so that we could see through the storms that others had walked through that they lifted up their voice and they praised and they magnified God. Now listen, I want to be very clear tonight that Paul and Silas in Acts 16 and 20 I'm thankful that it's there. I have leaned on it many, many times. I have, it has been, it has been a staple item, a mainstay in many of our lives through the years. But can I tell you that Paul and Silas were not the only ones that were facing just such things and lifted up their voices. I could fill in those two blanks with names that you would recognize that I've sat on this platform and I've watched them walk through the back door of that church and I knew, I knew, and maybe some of you knew just a little smidgen of the hell they were walking through but I look back and their hands were lifted and tears were running down their face and they were singing along. They weren't jaded with some bad attitude and their arms crossed or sitting home feeling sorry for themselves. Somehow, despite the pain and the peril, they lifted their hands. And so I'm gonna tell you, thank you, Paul and Silas. I appreciate you. Don't want to take anything away from it. But I'm going to tell you that these hands, this hand has has shook the hand, has put my arm around the shoulder of men and women just that way with just that kind of fortitude that said we will pray and we will praise and we will sing unto the Lord. Why? Because he is good and his mercy endureth forever. Praise God. Praise God. My, my, my. 
That spirit of gratitude shifts our heart and our focus and our thoughts away from what I do not have. Because all of us have some do not haves. We're short on our list. I would say all of us short on our list of hopes and dreams and desires. And so it shifts my focus away from what I don't have to what I do have. And that brings us now to a place in prayer where we bring our petitions or our supplications as the scripture calls it. Bringing our personal petitions before the Lord. So we didn't just jump right in with this is my list. We begin with praise and worship. <laughs> we, we begin to confess our sins and repent and let God touch our hearts and cleanse us. And we begin to thank him for all the things that he's already done and what he's going to do. And it brings us to an absolute place of supplication or petition. So if we're faithful in these three steps, then the last step doesn't get twisted into some kind of spiritual wish list. If we have been faithful in the first ones, then when we get to the place of petitioning the Lord, this is not a spiritual wish list. And we are not considering God the, the guy behind the counter to run back in the back room and get all of our needs and bring them back to us. We spend adequate time in praise and worship or adoration. We spend time in confession, time in thanksgiving. As a matter of fact, by the time we go through those steps in prayer, some of the things that we were going to ask the Lord for may change. <laughs> because the Lord may just help us realize that some of the things we really come to talk to him about are not quite as important as they were a few moments ago. Maybe we initially were going to pray for the Lord to change this person or change this situation. But as we begin to pray, God helped us realize that we are the ones that indeed need to change. Amen. So our petitions may change because we're now more in alignment with God than we were in the beginning. And so that brings us right back to where we started. If we desire to have a more effective prayer life, then we must learn to pray according to the will of God. Now, I want to be clear that I do believe that there is certainly a place for petition or supplication, intercession, whatever word you want to opt to use there. I certainly believe there is a place for petition in our prayer life. I don't think we have to feel any measure of shame to bring our needs before the Lord. He's our Father. Now, if we have this correct, he's our father. And so why would we have to feel shame-faced to come and ask the Lord, our father, for a need? There is a place for that. Hebrews 4 and 16 speaks about coming boldly to the throne of grace. Absolutely. 1 Peter 5 and 7, the Bible says, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. What a tremendous privilege to cast our cares. Wow. You ever been just carrying something, holding something that you, and somebody else come along and either shared in that load or took that load off of you? It's like, wow, I didn't realize how heavy that was. I didn't know how much of a strain I was under. Thank you for, he said, casting our cares because he cares for us. And so we are admonished to bring our concerns and cast them, cast them. Philippians 4, 6 and 7, the Bible says, be careful for nothing, 
But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Verse 7, the Bible says, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your heart and minds through Christ Jesus. Now the scripture is telling me to bring my request to the Lord. And so I want to just say tonight that there is nothing too big to bring to God. And there is nothing too small to bring to God. I think if it matters to you, it matters to God. That is truly, I'm 100% sincere when I say that. If it matters to us, it matters to God. Amen. And so to be sure, I'm not saying that whatever we bring to the Lord, that he's just going to kind of take on the role of a grandparent and fulfill our every desire. And I say that with great deference to every grandparent in the house. But I have a, I'm going somewhere with that. He's, he's not our grandfather. He's our heavenly father. And, and there's a difference. <clears throat> Smile at me, please. When I, was about, when I was about, here's the difference. When I was about six or seven years old, um, I don't remember the incident that led up to this. But my mother was after me with a belt. And it was probably for praying too much or for fasting or something like that. And, uh, <laughs> and you just got to get, you know how when the memories are that far back, they're just kind of little steel shots in your mind. And so and this is not a video for me. It's just a bunch of little steel shots. Several of them, I have a very terrified look on my face. <laughs> but out, out the front door I come, my mother's after me. And at the same exact time that all of this played out, my grandparents on my dad's side, my dad's mom and dad, pulled into our driveway. So my grandmother's response, now at the time, this was just cool as all outdoors. But, you know, when you're an adult and you look back on this, my grandmother's response to a crisis she knew nothing about was to coax me over, pull me to her side. She reached in her purse and gave me a dime. Now a dime was a whole lot more than, I know some of you are like, dime. Yes. She gave me a dime. <laughs> now, that probably wasn't the best approach to a situation she knew so little about. And I was probably begging to go home with Grandma and Granddaddy that particular day. But that's the point, is that God is not going to just wax over our situation. We can speak to him as a father, and he's going to deal with it as such. But here's what the Lord promised would happen so that we don't incite fear in our heart. The Bible says, And the peace of God which passeth all understanding will keep your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Now that's not to say that God's going to resolve all of our problems because there are times we have a problem and we pray and it's gone. Right? We've all been there. Then we have other, seen other times where we pray and nothing happens. I've even had times where we prayed and things got worse. That's the truth. Can you handle one more little story? <laughs> I was a little bit older than that particular place. It matured much in the Lord. And uh, we, uh, my, my, my mom and dad had, had bought the first chickens I ever had. And so they laid some eggs and had some little bitties. And one little bitty got injured. 
And I had such great faith that I walked in the uh, the utility room of our house. My mom and dad had a big chest freezer. And I laid that little chick on the freezer and I put my hand over it and I prayed that God would heal that bird. I prayed a very sincere prayer. And I'm being very honest with you about that. I was very sincere in my efforts. And when I pulled my hand back, that chicken was dead. I don't tell that story a lot because it would really have an ill effect on our ministry. <laughs> so, I'd like for you to come down for prayer after church immediately. <laughs> We're going to lay hands on you. <laughs> I, if I ever go to set you on a chest freezer and pray for you, that's when I would get worried. We're probably in a safe zone right here. But I can remember being so disappointed. And, but the Lord just teaching me right out of the gate that it don't always happen that way. Just It doesn't always fix because that's just not always the way it goes. And so God doesn't promise that he takes all of our problems away. <laughs> you guys just enjoy other people's pain way too much. But he promises that he'll give us peace in the midst of our storm. And I'm going to tell you that I am not alone when I tell you that God can give you peace in the midst of a storm. The Bible says, Philippians 4 and 7, I'm going back there. The peace of God will keep your heart and your minds, your heart and your mind, and that is important through Christ Jesus. The word keep comes from a phrase that means guard. In other words, the peace of God will guard your heart. Oh, and it'll guard your mind. It'll stand guard around you. It'll stand guard around you. It'll keep you. It will keep you, the peace of God. Now, let's just be honest. There have been times when our life, in our lives, when things were going horribly wrong. Yet, in the midst of all of that chaos, God sent a spirit of peace that felt oddly out of sync with what was going on around us. It's okay to agree. It's okay to say amen to that. There have been times, more times than I could dare remember, that people have said to me in the midst of all kind of hellfire and damnation in their life, they have said, I feel like I ought to be more upset. I feel like I ought to be more concerned. I, and it's not that they weren't concerned. And it's not that they have been somehow magically extracted from the pain and the peril of their situation. But in that moment, God was guarding their heart and guarding their mind. And it was a peace that just seemed out of beat with everything else that was going around. What a precious gift this is. You see, some people have a, a tendency to worry more than others. I've met people then on the other side of that that don't seem to worry at all. But, but when you're tempted to worry, what does the scripture say? There is hope in the word of God. Philippians 4 and 6, the, the King James Version says, be careful for nothing, be careful for nothing. Uh, another translation of that says, be, be not anxious about anything. Amen. And so be careful for nothing. That means don't worry about anything. Well, that's a tall order. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. At times, we may need to do this multiple times a day. Amen. During seasons of our lives, when the scripture says, be careful for nothing, 
When the scripture says, don't worry about anything, we may have to pray that prayer way more than just one time at 6 a.m. and think this is gonna carry us through the day, but it may come closing in on us, the gripping, stifling, uh, the stifling grip, rather, uh, uh, of fear and, and, and the unknown, the uncertainty of what this is all gonna turn out to be. And I have to pray it again, God, keep my heart, keep my mind. I'm gonna close, and, and so here is, here is hopefully in a nutshell what we've been driving at. We should ask the Lord as the disciples teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. I know that I could pray more and that I could pray more effectively. I know that. It's not some false sense of humility here. I'm being very sincere. I know that. So I'm asking the Lord with a few things here, for a few things. I'm asking the Lord to help me pray more, not just longer, not just time, because if we're not effective, that won't mean anything. That's just like coming and having a five-hour service and singing 69 songs and when it's all said and done, we have no idea what's happened. And we say, we were there five hours. Well, if we weren't here effectively, if we were being effective in what we're doing, amen, that's what really matters. And so we not just pray longer, but pray more effectively. The Bible says the fervent, effectual prayer, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And so it, it is reaching for that fervor and that righteousness. And so we have to ask God to help us. Help us. I don't think Sister Corn would mind me saying this, or I wouldn't use her in this illustration. But this this past Sunday, Sister Corn came and uh, she said something to me. It was, it was just something so sweet and precious and innocent and honest. And how she said it. She said, "I have been praying for the Lord to give me a greater desire to read His Word, and He's doing it." It wasn't a boast. <laughs> no, by no means. By no means. But she said, you know, I just want to understand more of his word. And so I just asked the Lord. I thought, how cool. We have not because we ask not. And we just asked the Lord, Lord, help me to have a greater love to read your word and an understanding for that. Amen. So let's finish by reminding ourselves of this, of this simple truth. That, that prayer is not moving God my way, but it is moving me his way. Prayer is not getting my will, but it's God's will. And prayer is a process whereby God aligns our desires to what is right. Now, I, I do understand that we have records certainly in Scripture and we have records in our own history where people have prayed and changed the mind of God, so to speak. We find that in Moses and Abraham, many other Bible characters, but I've also, I have also understood the, the value of meeting people that have prayed effective prayers and it just seemed like the situation changed. Now, I, I, I would say that I don't think we have the ability to make God do something he doesn't want to do. I'm not saying that, but I do believe in intercessory prayer. Amen. As a matter of fact, if the, to me, the good news in that, if the Lord doesn't want it, I don't need it. And sometimes the greatest prayers I've ever had un answered was unanswered prayers. <laughs> Amen. Where the Lord just didn't say anything. And so prayer is an important process where God is changing me, but I can't miss an important part of all of this. 
And the Bible says you have not because you ask not. So that means that there are several things in our life that God wants to give, but they aren't ours because we just haven't asked for them. And I, I refer back to that illustration of Sister Corin. I just want you to help me, Lord. And she just grinned and said, and he did. I don't think that that was a one-time prayer. I don't think she passively mentioned that one morning and mystically it was there the next day. But I believe it was asking again and again. Sometimes we have to ask again and again. Jesus said, ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. You may have heard this before, but I will tell you again that in the original language, you could translate that to ask and keep on asking. Knock, keep on knocking. Seek, keep on seeking. We have to be persistent in prayer. That's why the Bible says pray without ceasing. Align my will with your will. Amen. We ought to always pray and not faint. So we have to ask the Lord as the disciples, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Amen. Let's stand. Can we do that? Amen. What a tremendous privilege to know the Lord and the power of his might. To be in fellowship with him. Prayer. Prayer. We would all relate to the privilege it would be to have an invitation of the governor or the invitation of a president. And that would certainly be a wonderful privilege. But we have no greater privilege than what we find in prayer. And that is an audience with a great I am. Amen. I'm thankful for his word and I'm thankful for the strength. I'm thankful for what God gives us in prayer. I'm thankful for the journey that we're on as a church. (laughs) I really am. I'm thankful for that. And I pray and ask the Lord to touch us all. Amen. Can we just join maybe with someone near you if it's convenient and appropriate. Let's just ask the Lord to touch us together tonight. God, I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you for the hope that we find. I thank you for the instruction that is given to us. Not mere words, God, that we can just use at our convenience. We can acknowledge or ignore. But, oh, God, I thank you for the words of hope and inspiration and for the wisdom, God, that we find in you and for the truth that we find in your word. I pray today, God, that you would help each and every one of us from the youngest to the oldest in this building tonight that we would certainly, Lord, stretch ourselves and invest ourselves in a greater fashion than ever before in the greatest exercise we could ever have, and that is to pray for common man to be able to speak to you. Thank you, Lord. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 
or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.